It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the show before the show podcast. We have our cameras turned off uh, in the hopes that it will help with all of our internet connections today. And so I wanted to throw everybody off by being very mellow right out of the gate. My name is Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hiller in New York City. Hello, gentlemen. Is this how we announce that we're now an NPR podcast? And coming up after the break, more on a new jazz album from our own Benjamin Hill. It's, we'll uh, it's all it. levels considered with minor oh. league baseball, the show before the show. That's the new title of the show. All levels considered. <laughs> my jazz album is not for NPR. It is fiery. It is transcendent. <laughs> it's Animalistic just, spirit music. It's and nothing. It is breaking all boundaries. Ben's got a, a parental advisory sticker on his smooth jazz album. Like, man, he really went off with the vulgarities there. Not expecting that from Ben Hill. You know, I'd listen. I would listen. That actually sounds like a fantastic musical journey, to be honest. Yeah, it's fire music. It, it, it's, it's spiritual. It's deep. It's heavy. I learned all the rules so I could break them. And uh, it puts me in the pantheon of all time avant-garde greats. Well, welcome into the latest episode of the show before the show podcast, or all levels considered, as it's now known, the official podcast of minor league baseball, Tyler Mond, Ben Hill, Sam Dykstra. Um, we are headed into the final week of the minor league season here in 2023, uh, the final weekend, I should say, as uh, coming up on September 30th, all of the festivities in Las Vegas underway at the AAA championship. Uh, and uh, after that, minor league baseball award show coming up on Monday, October 2nd on MLB network. Um, we've got a lot of minor league baseball news to get to, and we're going to kick things off with something that uh, by the time you are hearing this will be official. We got a new logo, minor league baseball, uh, the new MILB logo introduced on September 28th and will be uh, happening in its entirety for next season. Uh, we have all gotten a look at this new logo. It's uh, a combination of some of the visual identity of minor league baseball and also the arguably most famous sports league logo in uh, in human history and the one that every other logo for every other league and every other sport seemingly has ripped off. And that's Major League Baseball's Batterman logo. Um, this is cool. We, we talked about it before we got started today. Uh, we all kind of looked at it at the same time. It wasn't the first time seeing it for, for a couple of us, but um, I, the more I look at it, the more I kind of dig it. Uh, I think it's a very solid refresh of the minor league identity for 2024 and beyond. Uh, it has been obviously a time of great change in minor league baseball. Um, ben, let's hear some of the details on this and some of your thoughts on uh, on this new visual package that uh, will be the MILB brand. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, once MLB you know took over minor league baseball uh, prior to the 2020 season, um, you know, they want to do more and more to signify, you know, the lasting 
know, permanent connection between the two entities and not just connection between them, but the fact that they're all part of, you know, one entity, baseball. Uh, so we do have the Batterman uh, prominently now in the minor league logo. I do love that his name is Batterman, and it's all one word, B-A-T-T-E-R-M-A-N. We've got Batterman, and uh, yeah, two tones of blue, two hues, two hues of blue uh, in it. A lighter shade around Batterman, and behind him, a darker shade featuring four stars, which, among other things, represents the four levels of play. Class A, high A, double A, and triple A, working upwards to, of course, the major leagues where Batterman permanently resides. Yeah, and one thing I want to kind of highlight about those two hues, that they're a lighter blue and a darker blue, um, and there is some meaning behind that. I mean, it's not just, oh, we're looking for a, a different tinge than what MLB has. Um, the idea of the lighter hue is it's a brighter version of blue, um, so it's about being you know bright futures and all that kind of stuff. And then the dark blue is a good combination with the stars and it's you know it's so you have a little bit of night and day going on with this logo the bright future ahead and the the darkness of the night portrayed against the stars and and as you said that those stars are something that carries over from the previous uh minor league logo involving the four levels so uh it might look a little bit familiar uh but it's also obviously a little bit different and, and it gives minor league baseball its own brand while still linking to mlb it uh, is a very good, I think, sort of modernization and next step uh, for the the visual look of minor league baseball. And yeah, I mean, when you bring the one of the most instantly recognizable identities in sports uh, and you add an additional element to it uh, with Major League Baseball's uh, ownership now of minor league baseball, it's uh, it makes sense. It all makes sense. And uh, so that stuff will start rolling out coming up uh this week and then it'll be in full force for 2024 and beyond and uh you can get all the details at mlb.com milb.com and uh you'll see it of course as some of the events start taking off uh this weekend and on into next with a triple a championship set for saturday in las vegas um let's move on from a new uh stage in minor league baseball's visual identity to uh, some of the best visual identities in 2023 in minor league baseball. At MILB.com slash alternate dash identity, you can still vote for the best 2023 theme night slash alternate identity. And uh, we're going to go through the contenders here, uh, starting with the Amarillo Calf Fries, which uh, is a logo that you're uh, you're going to need to Google the name behind or the meaning behind the name. Uh, the Eugene Exploding Whales, the Hartford Bouncing Pickles, the Hickory Dickory Docks, the Hoosier State Tenderloins, the Hudson Valley Cider Donuts, the Norfolk Lumpia, and the Springfield Cashew Chickens. Uh, we know the names. We know the identities. But let's go through these uh, one by one and get some of your thoughts on them. And let's kick things off in Amarillo. I said uh, people will have to Google uh, to know what the calf fries identity means. But if they if they choose to forego that route or if they already know, you've got the goods on the calf fries. Uh, let's hear your thoughts on the Amarillo calf fries. Well, you're right, Tyler. It is a uh, if you know, you know sort of thing. The team's own press release did not fully explain what they are. They are also known as uh, Rocky Mountain Oysters, but they had a lot of success with this identity uh, suited up as the calf fries seven times this year. And uh, you can get a calf fry at the ballpark if you so desire, if you're if you're extra calf fry curious, uh, which I believe our own Sam Dykstra was. I, 
I don't know if I was curious. <laughs> I, I did try them <laughs> on camera uh, in footage that had, I don't believe has hit the internet yet. We're, you know, at some point we might get that out there, but it, you know, it, it tasted like a fried thing you get at the ballpark and it, it was good dipped in sauce. And uh, I, I will not be rushing out to try them again, but I, I can say I did try them once and I lived to tell the tale, which is plenty. Well, there you have it. Be like Sam Dykstra and give calf fries a try once. <laughs> All right. Uh, our second identity uh, is one that we did an entire episode on the Eugene exploding <laughs> whales. Uh, this is one of the best that we've seen. I mean, all of these are, uh, but this one just cracks me up. I think because we're all sort of in the sweet spot where we were kind of aware of like the early internet video of the Eugene exploding whale, which somehow had been fished out and put onto the internet despite the fact that it happened like 30 years before video on the internet. Uh, but Ben tells about this one. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. I visited Eugene on an exploding whales night. I uh, got to see it in action, wrote my longest story of the year because there was just so much to explore with the exploding whales. But yeah, in 1970, a massive sperm whale washed up on the beach in Florence, Oregon. Authorities decided to remove it by blowing it up, used way too much dynamite. That resulted in a local news report that became argue- arguably the first viral video. 53 years later, it is as uh, well-known and popular and beloved in occurrence uh as it's ever been, and here we are, Eugene Emeralds, uh, had, with, with their exploding whales, alternate identity, had a ton of success with it, of course locally, but also globally, because this story is beloved all over the whale, the story of Oregon's exploding whale. Having to like get uh, behind cars to avoid the flying whale detritus. Is that the way you say that word, detritus? It right? is detritus. Okay, it, I, I can confirm it no is offense. detritus, and the, the detritus did you know destroy a car that was yeah. a quarter mile away, completely totaled the car, and that uh, nuts. And, and that's like that's just all part of a funny story. And one thing I learned when I was in Eugene, the guy whose car was destroyed, he had uh, just bought the car from a dealership that was advertising a whale of a deal. Like true story. <laughs> I wonder how that goes over when you call your insurance agent and you're like, okay, so I bought this in that whale of a deal promotion, but you won't believe how it got totaled. Um, <laughs> all right. The Hartford Bouncing Pickles this is another one we've heard a lot about uh, this year. It is from one of those antiquated, bizarre, old-timey laws. Uh, and it's, I mean, what a great story, the Hartford Bouncing Pickles. Yeah, the Yard Goats, who knows how they came across this little bit of uh, Connecticut state history. But a 1948 law said that a pickle is not a pickle if it doesn't bounce. You know, they were really cracking down on unscrupulous pickle sellers who were selling pickles that were not fit for human consumption. Uh, So that's a a funny bit of uh, state history. I don't know how they found it, but they said, you know what? Bouncing pickles, that is going to be a great alternate identity. And so they became the bouncing pickles and you know their pickle bounces because it's on a pogo stick. So there you go. The Hartford bouncing pickle. Yeah, that one is a very obviously bouncing pickle. Unlike some of your uh, your less savory pickles as, in terms of their character, not in terms of their flavor. I don't know. Maybe they're savory. Maybe they're sweet. But if they don't bounce, they're not uh, good pickles. Uh, the Hickory Dickory Docks, it, uh, in our summary of the Dickory Docks, it says, quote, leave it to the crawdads to make an identity out of a dad joke. Um, the Hickory Dickory Docks is a good one. Yeah, I mean, this is the one that was probably the least elaborate backstory of any uh, of the alternate identity nominees. The crawdads play in Hickory, North Carolina. 
a very well-known line from a nursery rhyme is hickory dickory dock. So the team was just like, hey, we can be the hickory dickory docks. And that's all it took. The uh, hat features a mouse running up a clock, because how could it not? And that clock is set to 828, which is Hickory, North Carolina's area code. So it all comes together. That is really good. I like the tie-in with the area code. Um, the, uh, I think, most delicious-looking identity uh, among all of these. I, I shouldn't say that because they're all delicious-looking. I just have such good memories of eating a gigantic Midwestern state tenderloin one time that the Hoosier State tenderloins a uh, really good one from the Fort Wayne tin caps. It has uh, a logo in which the tenderloin is 18 times larger than the bun that it's on, which is how it really goes in the Midwest. Yeah, it really does. You know, the pork tenderloin, these thin breaded cutlets that far, far uh, exceed the size of the bun. They are known throughout the Midwest and the Peoria Chiefs already had a tenderloin's alternate identity. But the tin caps uh, being based in Fort Wayne, they say, first of all, it originated here in Huntington, uh, Indiana, which is not too far away from Fort Wayne. And also they have actually been involved in trying to lobby to make the pork tenderloin the official state sandwich of uh, Indiana. And while that effort is stalled out in the state Senate right now, there is a bill uh, that exists that hopefully passes to make the pork tenderloin the official sandwich. And that is what led in part to the Hoosier State Tenderloin's alternate identity. They're trying to say that the pork tenderloin is or should be the official sandwich of Indiana. The next one is really the Sam Dykstra identity, and it is the Hudson Valley Cider Donuts. Uh, Sam, as we know, is Mr. Autumn Man. He's the guy in that piece from The Onion from like uh, 10 years ago. Um, I was actually surprised when we had our cameras on to see that it's uh, we're officially in fall and Sam is not yet rocking any Cider Donuts gear. Uh, a little disappointed, but uh, the Hudson Valley Cider Donuts, Ben. Yeah, well, we know Sam has... Uh a cider donuts hat because he texted me when I was at the ballpark uh, in June, when the Hudson Valley renegades debuted as the uh, cider donuts. And he said, Hey, can you get me a hat? Which I did. So we will be seeing Sam Dykes during a cider donuts hat uh, soon enough, but cider donuts, it is a fall treat in the Hudson Valley region. You know, you pair it with a hot beverage and views of beautiful fall foliage and uh, all season long, the renegades had cider donuts available for sale at the ballpark on multiple occasions, they suited up as the cider donuts, and they even have a cider donut mascot, Dusty, you know, who can be seen on the cap, uh, who looks to be in pretty good spirits despite the fact that somebody took a bite out of him. And I got to say, you know, not to influence people's voting one way or another, but uh, when I posted the picture of the hat that like Ben sent me, I got more comments from just. People who are like casual minor league fans or like friends of mine who don't follow minor league baseball that closely. And they were just like, what is that? That looks amazing. It it has real appeal uh, across the board. Um, and I, one thing I love about it, too, is the stuff they were selling. My hat doesn't smell like a cider donut, but they were selling shirts that smelled like cinnamon cider donuts. It's it's amazing that everything they did with that promotion. Interesting. Uh, also, Sam, as you are well aware. I have not sampled one of these donuts, but there may be a time soon when uh, when you and I may be able to go in pursuit of such a donut together. And I want you to know that it's a very important time for me to uh, need to have you around because I don't think my experience would be as good if you're not there for a cider donut first time tasting. You're going to need some coaching and I'm going to be able to talk you through it. 
of like all all the flavors you're going to be getting at once and just the joy. You need somebody by your I like side. That. Tyler. I'm, I'm I like that idea. You. I feel like it's yeah. one of those donuts. Donuts are different in different ways uh, in terms of what you consume with them. I feel like this is the type of donut that you have to consume with like black diner coffee. Like a big mm. hefty mug of just like straight black coffee. Mm, I think usually it's with hot apple cider. Oh, you double up on the apple cider? You eat you're the du- donut? You're doubling up, but you're, oh. as again, as the autumn man on this podcast, your fall powers double up at the same rate. Like your bar, your energy bar for autumn, just picture like Mortal Kombat or something. Uh, it, you, you think you're doubling up on flavors, but you're really doubling up on powers. And that's the important part. Oh, man. Ben rolled his eyes and yawned in the middle of that, uh, that answer. And so, <laughs> I'm used to it. It's fine. No, I'm just tired. I was actually thinking, you know what I was thinking about? This show was before my time, but I remember it being on syndication as a kid, The Fall Guy, starring Lee Majors. And I was thinking, Sam's our own Lee Majors. He's the fall guy. Ah, Interesting. (laughs) Isn't isn't Lee Majors the one who, uh, he like swam with a a ship in his teeth? He was like pulling a rope. No, is that not Lee Majors? That sounds like something he'd do. I think he was the sixth billion dollar bionic ah, man. Ah, that was Jack LaLanne. Six million dollar man. Jack right, LaLanne. Six million dollar. I was accounting Maybe for Maybe with inflation. Now yeah. he's the six billion dollar man. Jack LaLanne was the one. Um, by the way, there were we had some we had some uh some Gen Xers or some boomers listening to this podcast were like Jack LaLanne, idiot millennials. Um okay, let's move on. The Norfolk Lumpia, this is a really cool identity. Uh it is one that honors uh, the Norfolk area's rich Filipino-American culture. The lumpia is uh, is a food item, a spring roll-like snack, uh, which ever since we first talked about this identity, I have wanted to try one very badly. I assume that there is probably a place around here that serves good ones um, that I also need to go track down. Maybe I'll just find like a, a whole day where I go eat as many of these identities as possible. Uh, that actually sounds like a fantastic idea, but anyway, uh, Ben, please tell us about the Norfolk Lumpia. Yeah. I mean, you covered it pretty well right there. Uh, Norfolk has a large Filipino American population, a lot of whom emigrated to the United States via service in the U S military. So Norfolk decided to honor the Philippine Filipino Americans who make up their fan base, uh, by suiting up as the Lumpia. And it is, you know, I guess the best way to describe it is a, a spring roll like, uh, appetizer. It is, uh, you know, wrapped in uh, crisp, light paper, fried, stuffed with meat and vegetables, and uh, they are excellent. I had one for the first time uh, at a Stockton Ports game in like 2013, and I loved it then, and uh, I love them now. And our final alternate identity in the uh, in the voting realm this year is the Springfield Cashew Chickens which is uh, something that I uh, love about this alternate identity is the fact that it taught me something that I never knew before, which is that cashew chicken was invented in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, That is the claim. Chef David Long blended uh, Chinese and American cuisine in his adopted hometown to create cashew chicken. I had no idea. And when alternate identities educate you about something in a region and for a team, I think that's among the coolest things they can do. Yeah, who knew the Ozark Mountain region uh, had a Chinese food history, but that is what we learned through the Springfield Cardinals based in Springfield, Missouri. The cashew chickens 
that dish has been popular there for 60 years. And of note is that this is the first time that the Springfield Cardinals did any alternate identity of any sort. Um, you know, they've generally been, you know, they have the name of the parent club. There's a lot of Cardinals fans in the region. They've generally been pretty close to the vest, so to speak, in terms of not doing, you know, crazy or out there promotions. But when they finally decided to get on the alternate identity bandwagon or train or whatever you want to call it, of all things, they went for the cashew chickens. And yes, it's been a journey of discovery for us all who did not know that Springfield, Missouri is the birthplace of cashew chicken. All right, Ben, if you were going to be a member of the voting public, well, what are you going with in this group? This is a tough pick. Yeah, if I was going to be, I mean, kind of obvious from for me, but and we talked about it so much already, but uh, Exploding Whales, just through my own personal history with loving the Exploding Whale video going back to being in college, uh, combined with experiencing the theme night in person this season, um, you know, I've been on my own multi-decade exploding whale journey, and uh, so I, I can't help but uh, personally be moved towards that, the exploding whale. Sam, we already know what you're going with, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's cider donuts. I have to be me. Uh, and just like, what is the one piece of merchandise that I own of these alternate identities? Although they're all very good. I I think Hickory Dickory Docks is like my second favorite. Oh, Interesting. And if cider donuts didn't exist, I probably would have voted for them just because it's it's I I don't know if it's creative because you're literally just ripping off a nursery rhyme. But it, it's such a good idea of, hey, this is in our name. Why don't we just lean into it um, and be really cre- creative with it in other ways of like Ben was saying, when you're creating the clock, make it the area code. Don't just pick a random time like you could do 705 because that's when we start our games. But no, they did 828 because it means something to that area because Dickory Docks isn't going to ma- matter to people in the Hickory region, but 828 will. Um, so it's just it's it's such a fun celebration of what the miners can be. Uh, I think that gets my second place vote. But yeah, cider donuts for me would would be my primary. There's also a mouse running up the clock in that uh, logo, which I very much enjoy for the the Hickory Dickory Docks. I think I got to go Exploding Whales also. It's just the logo is so good. The whale is like smiling while holding a piece of dynamite. Uh, it's great. Uh, you know, I think the, the cider donuts would probably come in second for me. But I'll be honest, I wasn't really in on the, the Hoosier State Tenderloins until today. And now the more I look at that weird uniform, the more I kind of like it. Like it's it's state fair themed. Um the hats are bizarre. The hats look like an old timey football helmet, uh, but I'm I'm kind of in on that. But I think I still got to go exploding whales. It's, I almost said exploding donuts. I got to go with those exploding donuts from Hartford. Um, you can cast your vote at milb.com slash alternate dash identity. And uh, he is Benjamin Hill. You can find all of his stuff, of course, at milb.com. And uh, thanks, Ben. We'll We'll catch you for some more next week. Yeah, you certainly will. There's still plenty to talk about. And uh Yeah, vote for those alternate identities and check out the awards show on uh, the MLB Network on Monday, October 2nd. You might just see me. What? Little old me. Tune in. Tune in. I will definitely be watching that. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, uh, me. Listening public. (laughs) Listening public. Yes, that's what I meant.
All right, Sam, it is time to discuss some on-field stuff as we uh, round our final corner here in 2023. We already have some league champs crowned uh, at one of the highest levels of the minor leagues uh, in AA, and we've got some others who will be crowned uh, coming up here soon. But before we get to discussing those, we also have finalists announced for the inaugural Minor League Baseball Awards show, which you heard uh, our own Benjamin Hill say a moment ago. You may see uh, a familiar face on that show. Minor League Hitting Prospect of the Year, Pitching Prospect of the Year, all MILB teams, the Breakout Player of the Year, Minor League Debut of the Year, Best Single Game Performance, uh, Defensive Play and Player of the Year, Team of the Year. We already told you about Best Alternate Identity. There's also a Home Runs of the Year category um, and some really good stuff as always, like Best Feel Good Moments, Best Bat Dogs, which I'm assuming is just all of them, and then Best Food. Uh, Sam, run through some of the categories that uh, stand out for you with this and uh, the things that you're most excited to, to catch the winners of. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in determining who were the finalists for these categories, we have them up right now on MLB.com slash pipeline. Um, there are three finalists for all the major categories. Obviously, alternate identity had many more than that, but that is based on a fan vote. This is not based on a fan vote. This was determined by the MLB pipeline staff. Um, and there were some really hearty debates, not just to get who the winner was, but also who would even be a finalist. Cutting some of these groups down to just three uh, was a really difficult task in 2023. Uh, we'll start it with hitting prospect of the year. And I really want to hit that word prospect because this isn't just who is the best minor league hitter this season. Uh, this is based on, you know, a, a little bit of prospecty goodness. That's what we call it. Uh, but also, you know, who had the best stats, who climbed a lot of levels, um, who performed really well, who became a notable name. So we have three finalists in that way. It's Michael Bush of the Los Angeles Dodgers system, Junior Caminero, who just got called up to the Tampa Bay Rays recently, uh, and Jackson Holiday. Um, particularly in the case of Caminero and Holiday, I don't think you can talk about the 2023 minor league season without mentioning them. Um, Caminero, this was his age 19 season, hit 31 homers in the major leagues, became, or the minor leagues, I should say, became the major's youngest player. Uh, when he was called up to Tampa Bay, showed incredible power, really good exit velocities. We don't consider EVs when we're doing these, but the slugging numbers were certainly there. The fact that he dominated the way he did at AA, he was just named the Southern League MVP this week, and that's somebody who was 19 for most of the season. Jackson Holiday, four levels uh, in 2023. We got to AAA. Got off to a slow start and then caught up to the level there. Had a WRC plus above 100. The guy just reached base everywhere. He had an incredibly advanced approach. Walked at least 12% of the time at every stop. Um, was consistently posting OBPs above 400. He doesn't have the slugging numbers that Cameron Arrow does or Michael Bush. Michael Bush was actually second in all of the minors among qualifiers uh, in slugging percentage and OPS, I believe. Um, but... Everything else was there for Jackson Holiday, and the fact that he continually got challenged and can kept pe passing all those tests. That's why he's a hitting prospect of the year candidate at this stage. You have to turn in, tune in on Monday uh, to see who actually won pitching prospect of the year. Another interesting debate, uh, particularly between Robbie Snelling and Drew Thorpe, two top 100 prospects, two breakout pitchers uh, this year. Drew Thorpe had some of the best overall numbers in the minor leagues. But again, if you're somebody who wants to bake in some prospecty goodness, we have Robbie Snelling 40 spots higher on the top 100. He climbed three levels. Drew Thorpe is only at two. Uh, Robbie Snelling did this in his age 19 season as well. The third finalist being Cade Horton, 
who, you know, this time last year was still coming off, uh, you know, some health questions. He performed really well in the College World Series. That led the Cubs to take him in the first round. But the way he built off that momentum, pitched at three different levels. We'll talk about this here in a second, Tyler. But Tennessee just won the Southern League championship. And one of the great quotes was, you know, I slept really well knowing that Kate Horton was going to be pitching for us. Uh, he just brought a really incredible amount of ease. And he's the highest ranked prospect of those pitching prospect of the year finalists at number 29. Uh, so a fun group to to consider there. Uh, breakout prospect of the year, Junior Caminero, Kate Horton, two of the guys we just talked about, Jacob Mizorowski, who many people might recognize from the Futures game this year, can touch triple digits, throws one of the best sliders in the minor leagues, um, also throws a really good cutter, can mix in a really good curveball. Uh, some control questions in there for sure, but on a pitch-by-pitch basis, I mean, this guy really has some wicked stuff, uh, just really commanded our attention this year and jumped into the top 100 pretty comfortably. Uh, by the end of the year. And he was somebody who the Brewers drafted out of junior college a year ago. Um, so it was was known, but is now one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in the game. And, you know, Caminero and Horton, we've already talked about. Minor league debut of the year, that's a different category. Uh, it's not just breakout. Breakout is like, you know, we thought of you a certain way beginning of the year that's changed as the season went on. Minor league debut is just guys who have not played in the minors at all before 2000. 23. So that's again Drew Thorpe, who did not pitch in his draft year last year. Robbie Snelling didn't pitch in his draft year last year. And Ethan Solace, another guy who's really a cornerstone of how we tell the story of the 2023 minor league season, was just signed by the Padres back in January. There were some rumblings that they were going to get aggressive with him in the spring. And they proved that by sending him to single A like Elsinore, skipping him over. Uh, not only the Dominican Summer League, but also the Arizona Complex League. And he ended the year at Double A San Antonio. Now, I know some people in the game think that was a little too aggressive by the Padres' part, and he developed some injury issues, didn't finish out the year with San Antonio healthy. I don't think that's because the, they got too aggressive, but he clearly was not at Double A level just yet, but they wanted him to get exposed to that, and that's quite telling of the year that Ethan Solace had. Um, so he's a nominee for minor league debut of the year. Um, some other really fun stuff that will come out, like Tyler said, uh, defensive play of the year. You can you can go through our site now and watch those clips. I'm, I'm not going to do them justice. Just talking about the best single game performance is really fun. That You got guys like Colt Keith up for that when he hit for the cycle and went six for six uh, with seven RBIs. Uh, even Fernando Tatis Jr. is a finalist for that when he had a three homer game for AAA El Paso and drove in eight runs. And Luis Mieses uh, went six for six with three homers for AA Birmingham. So a lot of really good candidates for that. Um, defensive player of the year is going to be fun. We've already seen Pete Crow Armstrong and Sedan Rafaela make the major leagues this year, show off some really quality gloves. But Nassim Nunez is our other player with at least a 70 grade glove. Uh, he was the Futures Game MVP this year because of what he showed with the bat, but his glove might be even better. Actually, is even better. I shouldn't even say might be. It is even better at either shortstop or second base. So those are the three nominees for Defensive Player of the Year. All of the winners will be announced next Monday, October 2nd, on MLB Network, airing at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, tune in for that, and we'll also be revealing our first and second all prospect teams. We don't have finalists for those. We're just going to straight up announce those. Uh, but given some of the nominees, you can kind of guess who's going to be featuring in certain spots. So very excited to get those 
not only the nominees, but the winners out there very soon. All right, Sam, uh, the minor league playoffs, as we noted, uh, and as you touched on a moment ago, almost wrapped up. Uh, we've got two double A champions already crowned, one that will be crowned very shortly. Triple uh, A championship is coming up on Sunday at the conclusion of the Pacific Coast League and International League seasons. Give us the status update on where we sit with uh, champions across the minors. Yeah, so congrats to the Erie Seawolves and the Tennessee Smokies who won the Eastern League and Southern League titles, respectively. Um, As of recording this on Wednesday, they had just done that Tuesday night. Both teams swept their way to those titles. Uh, Erie, I I was really impressed by uh, beating Binghamton 2-0 because you look at that Binghamton lineup. I mean, they had four top 100 prospects at the top between Luis Angel Acuna, Jet Williams, Drew Gilbert, Kevin Parada. And the way that their pitchers pitch, especially Brant Herter in game two, seven innings, seven scoreless innings, seven strikeouts, really shut down that lineup in a time that Erie really needed it. Um, so congrats to the Seawolves. Tennessee Smokies, I already mentioned Kate Horton getting the start in game two, helping them clinch a Southern League title. Uh, they had a loaded lineup as well including Matt Shaw, who was the first-round pick of the Cubs this year. We've talked a lot about how teams are getting aggressive with their 2023 picks. Uh, Because of the quality of the class, Matt Shaw is right in that discussion as well, helped the Smokies win a a title. So those are two double-A series already wrapped up. By the time you're hearing this, the Texas League might already be done as well. Arkansas and Amarillo are nodded at one in the Texas League. And then over in AAA, we have the AAA National Championship coming Saturday in Las Vegas. But first, we have to decide the winners of the International League and Pacific Coast League Championship Series. The current status of that is Oklahoma City leads Round Rock in the PCL one to nothing, and Durham leads Norfolk one nothing on the IL side. I hesitate to say that in that IL series that that could be a an upset because Durham every year feels like they're on the cusp of making the AAA national championship. Uh, and we know the Rays are winners. We talked about Charleston winning three straight titles at the single A level. Uh, now at the AAA level, that just obviously is carrying up towards Tampa Bay. But that Norfolk lineup is just so loaded. You think about the backup that the Orioles have at the major league level with position player prospects. Those guys are going to Norfolk. They're staying in Norfolk. Uh, So if Durham is able to pull that off, that would be really, really special uh, and punch another ticket to Vegas. Um, They're, they're halfway there right now. Uh, We'll see how things end up on Saturday. I picked Norfolk in round rock, uh, you know, kind of internally talking with some folks because I thought that would be a lot of fun to see Jackson holiday go against Wyatt Langford uh, with a ring on the line. But as it stands right now, OKC, which was one of the best teams in minor league baseball all season long, up to a 1-0 start, and Durham, perennial winners uh, up 1-0 on the IL side. But in a short series like this, anything can change real quick. So keep an eye out on MILB.com slash playoffs, where all information is constantly updated, and you can read more and get tickets if if, uh, that's still available. If you're hearing this before Saturday's AAA National Championship in Las Vegas, get out there. We'd love to see a full crowd out there in Vegas. That is uh, pretty cool stuff coming up uh, on Sunday for the AAA Championship. And uh, the new minor league logo will be there as well. What else we got, Sam? I mean, that's that's it for me. I mean, the Arizona Fall League is starting next Monday. Right. Um, So, Tyler, maybe you and I can get into like an Arizona Fall League draft. We will I feel like we our, always have fun. Uh, yeah, we always have. We always get two very loaded squads out of it, and that's because 
every single squad in the AFL is completely loaded. And so doing a draft of those players is always super fun. And we do that from year to year. But yeah, man, it's like we get down to this last one in September and I'm like, what else can we talk about? I'm already <laughs> missing the season. I know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the crazy thing for me is that people turn to me and they're like, Oh, the minor league season ended. Uh, so you're in the off season, right? It's like, Nope. The AFL just started Yeah, we six weeks of the AFL um, on top of the major league postseason, and which we're always following that as well. Um, but yeah, we'll break down AFL rosters more next week. Uh, there's 10 top 100 prospects led by Colson Montgomery, led by a couple really interesting arms that I'm excited to see in Ricky Tiedemann and Jackson Job. Um, maybe I'm giving away my draft order <laughs> ahead of that draft we do next week. But yeah, we'll, we'll break it down more in the future once the AFL season officially begins next Monday. So we're going to step aside for a timeout. We'll bring it on back with one Joshua Jackson, and then we're back to close the show coming up next. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club or player hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One once really beat out a few hits. The others never played a note. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Joliet Jazz. B. The Kansas City Blues. See the new Glarus Polka Pokers! You azure must be feeling good if you picked B, the Kansas City Blues, who last played in the AAA American Association of 1954 and existed in different variations with a long history dating back to the 19th century. There's reason to believe the Kansas City Blues baseball team name actually predates the phrase as an appellation for the jazz-infused music genre. The first KC Blues of the Diamond, the 1888 Kansas City Blues of the Western Association, seemingly wore blue uniforms and were nationally known by the Blues moniker, which is noteworthy for an era when many clubs had only unofficial team names or were known predominantly by the name of their city alone. The Kansas City Blues of the music world, meanwhile, have long roots connecting to a few genres across several time periods and geographical places. Like any folk music, it's nearly impossible to pin to a specific moment or artist, but the Kansas City Blues sound wasn't really identified and celebrated as unique until the Benny Moten Orchestra changed American music forever in the 1920s. And when most people think of Kansas City Blues music today, they think of the jazz subgenre characterized by big ensembles, riffing, and walking bass, and popularized by the Count Basie Orchestra. Or else they think of the revolutionary bebop sound of the legendary Charlie Parker. But that's a bird of a different nest. Parker wasn't even born until over 30 years after the debut of the Kansas City Blues of baseball. 
the most famous iteration on the diamond was probably the Kansas City combo that played in the AA as a New York Yankees affiliate from 1936 to 1954. And with good cause. After all, those Kansas City Blues were not only managed by Casey Stengel in 1945, but in 51, under the management of former Yankee great George Selkirk, had a 19-year-old Mickey Mantle for 40 games in his MLB rookie season. And they also had Phil Rizzuto back in 39 and 40. Those Blues had reasons to feel pretty good. They won American Association Championships in three seasons under the Yankees' umbrella, also winning the Little World Series against the International League's Newark Bears, another Yankees affiliate, in 1938. But the Blues' colorful history did not begin with New York, New York, and you can say that again. For a couple seasons in the early 30s, the Kansas City Club was owned in part by the fantastic Broadway and Hollywood actor Joe E. Brown. You know him as Osgood Fielding III in Some Like It Hot, but by all accounts he'd been a tremendous ball player capable of going pro before he chose show business. Brown led an ownership group that included Tris Speaker in purchasing the Blues in 32, with Speaker managing the team in 33. The next year, the Brown Speaker group sold to an interest helmed by former Chicago Cubs backstop Johnny Kling. But let's cling to Joey Brown for another second. He was also the father of Joe L. Brown, who was GM of the Pittsburgh Pirates from 1955 to 1976. In 1955 in Kansas City, though, the minors were out and the big leagues were in. The Blues moved to Denver, becoming the Bears, to make room for the Philadelphia Athletics moving to KC. K? C? And that's how the Blues faded. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these players appeared unhappy in his work in the minors of yesteryear? A. Grim Mason B. Sneer Weaver C. Glum Barber Want to know the answer? Clock in, or tune into the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is getting into the minor league playoffs, and I need to give him a ring. Saying goodbye on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Uh, we don't really like get to recommend games to watch or promos or anything. It's kind of a bummer. But coming up on Saturday, I think I said Sunday last segment. I don't know what day anything is. Saturday, which is probably a day that I should know, the AAA National Championship game from Las Vegas uh, is coming to your television sets or your mobile devices or wherever you choose to watch MLB Network. Uh, tune in for that one. It's going to be fun. It's always fun. Uh, and you can see the new minor league logo on TV. That'll be kind of cool. Uh, and uh, that's that's it, Sam. That's it. What is this, season nine, <laughs> season eight of the podcast? Something like that. We should actually count these. Nine. Holy cow. Good. For the folks gracious. at home, Tyler did just, just count with his fingers. On. I have a hard time with like years. <laughs> I've heard, all right well that's a hard show. time with years and the progression of time yeah. uh but you know what i mean how like 10 c like our 10th anniversary of this podcast will not be until 2025 as though planet earth is going to exist in the morning but our 10th season of the podcast is next year you know what i mean yeah this feels like the uh, millennium like talk all over again yeah yeah, exactly. Like the year 2000 wasn't, that was, uh, that's not a new millennium. 2001 was the new millennium. There was no zero. 
I, I don't know what to tell you. You liking this Y two K humor? We, <laughs> we can celebrate next season as our tenth season. We can get a new logo. We can like create we a should. patch. We should do that. We should do and it. And then for we could both. just roll it on into 2025. Exactly. You know? We like, should do it for both a tenth season and then a 10th anniversary teams usually choose one thing or the other not on the show before the show podcast we're gonna make we're gonna make vince Benefretto design multiple logos for us <laughs> uh to do like okay vince here's what we're doing in 2024 but in 2025 we're gonna be doing a lot of the same but we need an entirely different look yeah i like that idea same feel but completely different we should i mean you know going into next year we should break out some of the old interviews people would love to hear from you know the early days of the show before the show podcast of the you know, the guys who we had on the show who are now superstars in Major League Baseball. And we talked to Julio during the, the pandemic or we talked to, you know, all these dudes who have come up uh, over the last several years. They're yeah. now superstars in the game. Adley Richman right. and uh, Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby is a legit Jr. star now. Like we always thought he would be, but like he is such a good action. conversation with him. He was so much yeah. fun. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to start doing all that stuff. This is just us game planning. We don't want to say goodbye on our last regular season episode of the show before, or the postseason episode of the show before the show. So we're just game planning what next year looks like already. Yeah, we're already being like, so this is what's going to happen on March. I don't, I don't even know what, what the first episode is. Whenever season, it's it going to be in late March. Yeah, we'll be there. Uh, all right. Well, for Sam Dykstra, Benjamin Hill, Josh Jackson, and all the rest, my name is Tyler Mon. We will catch you all next week. Oh, 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 oh,